Good. Well, if you're a regular here, uh, you'll know that uh, we're in a series uh, entitled Heroes of Faith, and we're going through the characters that are described for us in the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, uh, chapter 11. They're often referred to uh, as heroes of faith, people from Israel's history who demonstrate or did demonstrate the kind of faith that pleases God. Uh, real faith, as we've called it. And uh, we've been going through various characters. We're only a little way through, really, but we've had um, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah. Uh, and today we've got a different character today, uh, and it will be by faith Sarah. Uh, although if you're following through in, in um, Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find Abraham is the next person who's mentioned But we're going to deal with Sarah because Abraham uh, will be dealt with in a couple of weeks' time after we've had our visitor next week. But um, uh, John DeRobeck, a young man from City Church, is going to be dealing with Abraham uh, for us uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So um, I'm sort of jumping in here and looking at Sarah. And um, at the beginning of the chapter, uh, we have um, what is the classic uh, definition of faith. Uh, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. These are the people that we're reading about, referred to as ancients in Israel's history. And um, I just want to repeat a little bit of what I said a couple of, two or three weeks ago, um, so that we get it in the right context and we understand what is this faith that we're talking about. So, first of all, faith is not an independent commodity. People may say, I wish I had your faith. Um, Or, um, you know, I'm hoping that we're going to uh, go on holiday this year. I've kind of got faith for it. Or I'm hoping uh, to have a job. But the hope that is mentioned here is sure and certain uh, because it is about trusting in God's promises. So faith has an object, and the object is God's promises. It's not just vain hope. It's not just people who may be optimists. Praise God for the optimist. I'd much rather be around optimist than I would be around pessimist. But that's not what we're talking about. It's solidly grounded uh, in God's promises. And we remind ourselves that uh, the Hebrew Christians uh, were encouraged not to go back to their old ways, not to go back to Judaism. They were under quite... Uh, great persecution uh, they were being ridiculed and persecuted and, uh, and made to look a disgrace uh, by their, their Hebrew brothers and they were being persuaded not to go back but to press on, persevere and inherit the promises because God said the best is yet to be what's up ahead of you is far better than what you've got now and of course they were in the new covenant And the writer to the Hebrews repeatedly reminds them that it's such a better covenant than the old covenant that came to them through Moses. That was good, but the law did not help them. They now had a better covenant, uh, better promises, better priesthood, better sacrifices. Everything was better. The old was just a shadow. And now the reality has come. And of course Jesus is the example that is set as one who persevered and pressed on. And we also considered that it's faith in action. 
isn't just about a belief, it's a belief that changes our lives. It causes us to make different decisions in our lives. It's not just something we hold in the back of our minds as something nice for us. It changes our lives. And the choice that these people have uh, was either to follow Jesus, face persecution, but inherit the promises, or go back to their own ways. They were, so it was meant to be faith in action. So the writer, by way of encouragement, gives them a catalogue um, of these people in the Old Testament. And of course, they're given to us as well. People who believe God uh, in the midst of various circumstances. And living out their belief, they were prepared to be aliens and strangers. That's what it says a bit further on in Hebrews chapter 11. They were prepared to be aliens and strangers in the world. And um, I reminded us uh, a few weeks ago that this is very consistent with the teaching of Jesus uh, who said this to his disciples, and anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And of course there are people around the world who are being persecuted at the moment who have made that choice. I will follow Jesus no matter what it costs. Even if it costs my livelihood, my home, my security, I will follow Jesus. They're following after these great heroes of faith. Uh, Last week, um, Julian spoke to us on Noah, a man who believed God against the odds uh, and had to persevere um, in his faith amidst what I can only assume was a great deal of ridicule. Now, I think we often have to try and dispel from our minds the picture of Noah's Ark, this little boat with a few animals sticking out of it. You know, uh, it was 450 feet long, uh, okay, and very tall. Just imagine how long it took Noah to make this boat, okay, and he had to face ridicule. There must have been times when he said, what on earth am I doing? Why am I doing this? But he believed God and he pressed on. Um, this week, uh, we're going to, to look at, at Sarah, the, the wife uh, of Abraham, the companion of the man who is held up in the New Testament as the supreme example of faith. He is referred to as a father of faith. And more particularly, he's, he's put up as an example of those who obtain righteousness by faith. So he's a great example, even though this was well before the law was given um, and nevertheless, in the New Testament, we are told to look back to Abraham and to, to emulate his faith because he trusted God and that was credited to him as righteousness. He had righteousness imputed to him. It didn't mean that he was a righteous person, but that he had a right standing before God, which God had bestowed on him uh, through faith. Uh, so um, we're looking um, mainly at Sarah, but of course her life is very much intertwined um, with Abraham. Now, I had a little problem because I used the NIV and um, it was actually Steve who had, had uh, mapped out uh, for us uh, a program of preaching. And of course, uh, verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 11 uh, mentions Sarah. So here, here it mentions Sarah. This is the NIV, all right? But the, the object, the subject of the sentence is not Sarah, it's Abraham in the NIV which makes it slightly complicated. But if you look at other versions, like the English Standard Version, we find it's Sarah 
who is the subject uh, of the statement. And um, having looked at a number of different translations, I'm not saying that the second one is necessarily correct and the first one is wrong, but there are occasions, and if you have an NIV, you might see in the footnotes um, the reference to um, the statement as it is in the bottom. There are occasions when the best manuscripts that the translators work from, there is a slight difference. And because, as we will we'll be doing, going back um, to Genesis, you will see that Sarah has a big role to play, really, if nothing else, as a, an amazing companion uh, to Abraham in his journey of faith. So I'm going to take it that we can look at Sarah uh, and her trust in God and what was the outcome of her faith. So from Noah, um, uh, from Noah, uh, we have uh, he had three sons: Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And um, we're actually looking at at, um, the genealogy from um, Shem to Abraham. Now, um, you probably know that in the early part of the story, Abraham is called Abraham and Sarah is called Sarai. They were their original names, but their names were changed as a part of uh, God conferring his covenant uh, upon them a bit later, and we'll see that. And, um, of course... From Shem came the Semitic races. That's where the word Semitic ultimately comes from, the Jewish people. So we're looking at that. Now, if you want to follow it in your Bibles, can you turn to Genesis 11? Now, I'm, I'm, my preaching this morning um, is going to be different, very different perhaps, uh, from uh, other occasions because a lot of the time I'm just going to be reading the story. I think it's important that we read the story and just comment as we go. So there's more words of scripture than my words, which is a good thing, isn't it? Don't you think so? Yeah, I think so. All right. So then, uh, this is the best map I could find, uh, and um, it actually is headed or t- entitled Abraham's Journey. It's the red line we're interested in, and, uh, but it does actually cover other journeys, but um, we'll see. Uh, if this helps us as we go through. So I'm reading um, from Genesis 11, verse 27. Um, the, following the genealogy um, of uh, Shem, we come to the father of Abraham, who is Terah. So this is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees, in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. As far as we know, these people were pagans. Um, God who created them had not visited them and not spoken to them, not given them any revelation. And it reminds us that although we can look around and we can get some idea of God's majesty, his power, uh, his diversity, his creativity, we don't know anything about God, about his nature and so on, unless he reveals it to us. And at this point, God had not revealed himself to this family. Um, So they're pagans. Um, But just interestingly, look um, how 
Sarai is introduced. Sarai was barren. She had no children. Almost a blight on her life, really. And in those days, succession was very important. Carrying on the family name was so, so important. And as it has been in periods of history, um, King Henry VIII um, dispensed with wives because he didn't get the son he wanted and so on, because it was very important to him that his name, that his line would carry on. I think the great thing is that there's no indication that Abraham loved her any less because she was barren. He wasn't about to discard her for a a more fertile woman. And um, I don't know if you've noticed as you've read through the Bible and the things you've learnt, how God chooses the most unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. Um, We will discover, if you don't already know, that he's going to start a family and this family is going to grow and grow and grow and it's going to bless the earth. And this family is actually going to produce the Messiah. Uh, And so God's got a great plan and here we are, he's going to start working with this woman who's barren. I'm sure if we were setting out on a plan like this, we wouldn't um, pick people who had this kind of defect We'd want people who are absolutely healthy and and fully able to bear children. And of course, when you look at the disciples, some of them are most unlikely characters. And at times they acted like a lot of wallies, didn't they really? And even right to the end they didn't get the message at times. And and yet the Apostle Paul um, reminds us that um, God is not looking for the the wealthy and the famous uh, but God is, is looking for those who have no account so he can put his treasure. He said, God has put his treasure in jars of clay, just old clay pots, uh, and it's just wonderful. So we carry on with the story now, verse 31. Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, son, sorry, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and the wife of, of, of the son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of Chaldees, Ur of Chaldees, to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And there's Haran there. So, uh, the land of Canaan, roughly there, what we might well call Israel today. And but why this upheaval? Well, perhaps the land had a good reputation, Canaan, as being a very fertile land. You know, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, um, they were pointed towards Canaan and they were told it was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a very, very fertile place. And so, this is Terah's choice. He's not, God's not speaking to him particularly, but he decides he's going to move his family and they're going to go uh, to the land uh, of Canaan. They're going to go to a new land. Perhaps like many people did in this country after the war, people emigrated to Canada or Australia to go and have a new life. People were offering them um, great rewards to go to such places. And um, it makes you wonder, how does God speak? And although we have no indication that God spoke to terror, later on we'll read in chapter 15 that it was God who was moving this whole family from Ur of the Chaldees right through to Canaan. And, uh, uh, and so God was behind it, even though he did not necessarily speak to Terah. He used uh, Terah's interest uh, in the, the land of Canaan. And um, we find, if we can only speculate how 
Sarah or Sarai might have felt about this move. Settled in Ur of the Chaldees, now she's being asked to become a nomad, trekking along with their possessions, their, their livestock and so on, making their way to Haran. And now when they get to Haran, um, it seems that Terah wants to settle for a while. He's not pushing on to the land of Canaan. And I expect Sarai thought, this is good. And especially when Terah died, she thought, we can stay here. Okay, we can put down our roots again. We don't have to go trekking on uh, like this. But she didn't take uh, God into account. Because in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abraham or Abram. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left. Interestingly, God didn't tell him where to go. But Abraham picked up the cue from his father and he pressed on to the land of Canaan. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old. Okay, 75 years old. When he set out from Haran, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, Your offspring, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abraham had no instructions about worship, but already he's becoming a worshipper. God is speaking to him and he wants to worship the God who speaks to him. And we'll see this is repeated at every stage. Abraham worships and we can only assume that he, was, he drew his family and his household Uh, into this worship and uh, set an example in worshipping. From from there he went on towards the hills uh, east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Uh, Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Now there's an unfortunate excursion, really. You can understand why they went, but uh, not terribly wise. Uh, Verse 10, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. And he was about to enter Egypt. He said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. She's quite elderly, this lady, and... um, I think she must have discovered the equivalent of the um, popular wrinkle cream that that, uh, is so popular on the television. Now, I I won't ask any of you ladies uh, uh, if you use it. I think it's just like polyfiller that fills the cracks. but, (laughs) but, But she was obviously a very beautiful woman. She looked after herself. She had great bearing and so on, even at an advanced age. He goes on, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. 
then they will kill me, and, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Now we have to understand that the relationship here, in those days women were considered the possession of the men and it wouldn't have been necessarily a thing for her to refuse. Um, But I think she would have been justified in saying, I'm not going to lie for you. But she didn't. She chose to obey her husband, uh, perhaps because with the confidence that a higher authority was watching them and that the higher authority, being God, would accomplish what was being promised concerning the land and concerning offspring for them. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw she was a beautiful woman and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into the palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. Maybe God was at work, even if this was a mistake. Uh, He's acquiring great wealth and we'll see that that continues. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's uh, wife. Uh, incidentally, uh, that, was, that was Egypt. Uh, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on his household because Abraham's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Genesis 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. And from the Negev, he went back to the place, uh, to the place. So he went back place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There, Abraham, or Abraham, called on the name of the Lord. He is a worshipper. He's become a worshipper at every stage of his life, with this progressive revelation that God is giving him uh, about his role in God's future. He is a worshipper. We have a little incident where um, they've acquired, as you hear, a great deal of livestock and um, lot also, and they discover that there's not enough pasture to sustain um, two lots of livestock. So Lot and he agree to part, and Abraham gives Lot the opportunity to take maybe the best land, and Lot goes off. Then uh, verse 1 of chapter 15. After this... The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. That last bit's quite significant, I think. Although God has promised Abraham land, um, possessions, a son, um, God is about trying to develop a relationship um, where he is the ultimate reward. And, And that's how it should be for us, isn't it? that our relationship with Jesus should be our greatest reward. God may bless us in different ways. God may bless us in the church and in our lives and so on. But our ultimate reward is our relationship with Jesus. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? 
And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the Lord, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And there we have this statement. Abraham or Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And as I said earlier, uh, this is the key uh, to righteousness before God. And this Abraham is cited in the New Testament as the father of faith. And uh, we know that now as Christians, um, we are made righteous before God, not by trying to do works of the law, but by trusting in the finished work of Jesus. Uh, Paul in the letters, his letter to the Romans said, Now a righteousness from God has been revealed apart from the law. People thought that you could gain righteousness and status with God by trying to obey the law. And of course we know that we fail in that. And God said, no, I'm introducing a new kind of righteousness, a righteousness that is by faith. And we have that famous statement in Ephesians, it's by grace that we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one shall boast. And so Abraham is a wonderful example and he's treated as an example in the New Testament that righteousness before God is through faith, not by works, not by trying good. We don't earn it, we can't deserve it and uh, it is by faith in Jesus alone. But it's stated of Abraham, he believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. Genesis 16. We don't know how much Abraham had, had uh, as it were, told uh, Sarai about the words that God... I'm sorry about the changes. Uh, <laughs> we can't think about that. It's something to do with the projector, we think. Anyway... Um, we don't know that he'd taken Sarai into his confidence, although a bit later he must have, which quite clear he must have done. And whilst God had promised Abraham that he would be an heir, God had made no comment about who the mother would be. And um, you know, as time passed and, and Sarai's body showed increasing signs of age, uh, she would have naturally concluded, "It's not me. Uh, how can it be me?" It, when she first heard about it, and we we're talking about a period of about 25 years, when she first heard about it, she thinks, well, I'm barren, but maybe, who knows? But now, looking at her body, she's saying, it, you know, it's as good as dead. Uh, how can this be? And she's concluding that there must be another way. Um, it, it can happen with Abraham, but it's not going to happen with me. Um, and um, there must be another way. I need to give God... Um, something of a helping hand. He needs a helping hand. And I don't know whether you can identify with her uh, in this, that often either we feel God has spoken to us about something that's going to happen in the future 
uh, or we ask God for something that we feel is in keeping with um, you know, building his kingdom and so on, and we say, God, it's not for me to interfere with this. I need to trust you. It might involve other people whose not minds need to be changed and think, I'm just going to pray about this and I'm not going to interfere. But we do. If you're anything like me, um, we just kind of pull and push and, and poke and think, well, you know, it's been such a time since I prayed this. I think, you know, God needs something of a helping hand. So we can understand the way she was feeling at this time. We could consider the church in this light. Jesus said, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not uh, prevail against it. Jesus' church will be built on him and, in, and, and built on faith uh, in him. But we can build the church seemingly in other ways. But um, you know, our choice can be uh, that we build the church um, based on the authentic gospel, uncompromising preaching of the gospel, with prayer as a priority, invoking the Holy Spirit to help us um, to build the church and to build it God's way, um, no matter what kind of criticism we can come under. Or, uh, alternatively, we can water down the gospel. We can try to make it more palatable to people in our generation. We can make it easier for people to be part of the church, not necessarily insist that they have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Or we can build the church on tradition. Um, we can, when we uh, you know, perhaps plant a new church, what we look at, what is our tradition as opposed to what is the word of God for building the church. So there are these opportunities. We either build by faith or, or we build by sight or we build by uh, the things that we find um, most easy, most comfortable, maybe man's wisdom. And think, so I think this is an example uh, of how the fact that we need to build by faith. So now Sarai, Abraham's wife, this is verse one now of chapter 16, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. She, she couldn't see another way around it. She, at that point, she did not have faith that God uh, could produce uh, an heir any other way. And if you move down to verse 15, so Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave him the name Ishmael, gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Now Genesis chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and, said, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you call me Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. 
God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down and he laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Obviously come to love the boy. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my king covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Because it's a covenant of faith. It's not a covenant of works, it's a covenant of faith. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Genesis 18. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let the little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into, his, in, into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seeds of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Where is your wife Sarah, they asked. There, in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself and she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That statement, is anything too hard for the Lord, um, may be something that we quote under different circumstances. You know, we are we're seeking God for something, we're praying, and we say, is anything too hard for the Lord? But we must um, uh, just recognise and acknowledge that this statement is made in the context of a specific promise from God. It's not like 
having you know, wishful thinking and saying, well, is anything too hard from God? That may not be God's will. But this was clearly God's will. It was a, uh, the, to be the outcome of a clear promise from God. And so in spite of the physical restrictions uh, of, of these two, the statement is, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh, but he said, yes, you did laugh. In a moment, we're going to, just to finish, we're going to read of the birth of Isaac, the promised heir. And um, he's identified as a child of faith. But I said at the beginning, when I put up those few notes, that faith um, needs to be seen in action. It's one thing to believe, but it needs to affect our lives. Now, um, up to this point, um, uh, Sarah has had to take um, God's word from her husband. She's not heard directly herself. Now she's heard for herself, and we conclude that she has believed. So what is the action now that she needs to take commensurate with this faith? Remember, and why is it an act of faith? What does she need to do? Don't be afraid. What does she need to do? You don't want to say, do you? Well, these ancients um, need to get together, don't they? As an act of faith, see, years ago it would have been a great pleasure, you know, a wonderful pleasure. But I'm not too sure... You know, with Abraham 99 and, and her, her 90. But there had to be an act of faith. They had to play their, they had to demonstrate that they, they had faith in what God would do. They had to get together because Abraham had to be the heir. All right? You know, I don't, you don't have to let your mind go completely wild about this. But it, this is, this, is, this is these two folks exercising faith in what God has promised. All right? Uh, I, I think that's okay, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to move on to Genesis 21. There are other things that happen. Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed and have a little excursion with a king called Abimelech and so on. But Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah uh, what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him and gave, and God commanded him. Abraham as, sorry, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Uh, we're just going to sum up now really. Um, what can we say? about Sarah. Uh, I'm not, not going to turn to it now, but if you were to look in 1 Peter chapter 3, you would see that Sarah is given 
as a, a role model uh, for women of God. Right? A, a role model, someone to take as an example. And um, if you think about uh, role models today that people take, uh, often they're for superficial reasons. Aren't they? They're very superficial. It's about glamour, it's about wealth, uh, it's about sporting achievements and so on. Not very often is it about character. But clearly, um, Sarah is a role model um, as a woman of character, not for superficial reasons. So then, what could we say in summing up? I, to be honest, I found it quite hard to do this bit, so if you've got any other ideas, I shall be quite pleased. First of all, she didn't consider old age a reason to refuse God's call to adventure with him. We've no, idea, no reason to believe she complained about this trekking around uh, to, to get to the land of Canaan. She didn't let her age um, stand in the way. Now, I'm f- fully aware, as um, you are fully aware, that we are a relatively elderly congregation here, aren't we? Only relatively, all right, but we are a congregation. And the older we get, the more settled we get, don't we? Don't you? And things are a little bit harder to do. David um, Tarr was telling me that jobs that he found easy are coming a little harder now, you know, and uh, just feeling his age a little bit, I think, you know. Um, but the fact of the matter is, maybe God is calling us on as older people. Um, maybe we shouldn't consider age to be a block. Now, as an example, um, from time to time we have said, as this church grows, we will have to move out of this building. Oh, no. No, not, it's comfortable. It's warm. Everything's to hand. Surely we don't want to move out of here and go to a drafty school hall. Wouldn't want to do that, would we? But supposing God is calling us on. Suppose God is calling us on for something. Are we prepared to put age aside and say, no, I'm going for the things of God. I'm, about the, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. So maybe that's part of her example to us. She trusted her husband's leadership in obeying God while she was yet to hear from him herself. Um, In those days, as I said, um, the wife was very much the possession of the husband and we don't have that place today. We see husband and wife as equal partners uh, in this wonderful relationship that we call marriage. But we do also acknowledge that the husband has a leadership role, which does not mean he stifles his wife, but the buck stops with the man. And sometimes the man needs to make a decision on behalf of husband and wife. And um, Sarah was prepared to do that. She was prepared to go along with her husband's vision and all the things that God had spoken, um, right up to the point that God spoke to her personally. So I think that's something good about her, her character. She honoured her husband even when he made a foolish mistake, not becoming fearful but trusting in the sovereignty of God. That's a word that is mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 3, that she obeyed her husband without fear. I guess that she trusted God. She was beginning to know God, possibly take part in the the worship that occurred time and time again in this um, wonderful journey that they had, and she was learning to trust God and not be fearful Um, even if her husband appeared to be making mistakes. She eventually 
heard from God herself, believed him and acted accordingly. Now we've already mentioned how she acted accordingly, so we don't need to go into that again. But she demonstrated faith and she received what God had promised. She received what God has promised. So the scripture that we were looking at, the ESV, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful who had promised just to, to close, I want to read a little bit um, from a book by Wendy Virgo um, entitled Sarah, Mother of a Nation. And she's seeing that Sarah is quite prophetic. Okay? She says, in this way, Sarah was prophetic and very relevant to the present age. Her life, entwined with Abraham's, was about response to progressive revelation and moving on in the purposes of God. It was about the power of God's word to produce faith. But more than that, it was not only about her and her husband, but about how the response of individuals to the call of God can affect history. She was one of the first of an endless line of people who have dared to leave behind everything that was dear and familiar and set out for a land that was unknown to them. They were pioneers of a new nation out of whom would come others who would hear a clear call and rise up, captivated by the vision before them, enduring hardship, misunderstanding, deprivation and disappointment, but unable to turn away because their hearts have been caught and held. They have seen something on the horizon, misty and undefined, but enough to keep them motivated and moving. These are days to look for more Sarahs. Okay, looking for more Sarahs. We need, we've got one here. I'm sure she'll want to emulate this Sarah. We need people who have heard that voice, who are willing to take that risk, to leave the safe bank of the river and jump on a frail raft, bobbing dangerously in the turbulent current. It looks so perilous, at times even ridiculous, to move on from where we are and what we have built. But we belong to a God who, though unchanging in his character and principles, is never static. He has not called us to be a people who will stand still. We're not to be content to sit and admire the place we have arrived in. We are urgently to push on to the next part of his plan, to reach the entire globe with the gospel. Hallelujah. While we may not necessarily move physically from where we are, where we live, we must always have movement in our hearts, ready for change, adjustment, development and growth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have preserved these stories for us, for our encouragement, for our instruction, and Lord, to help build faith in us. Uh, Father, we thank you that we are able to read these together. And Lord, we ask you that um, by your spirit you will stir us, Lord, and, and that you will dispel any settler spirit in us that we might have. Lord, it's natural for us uh, to desire our comfort zone and to build it and to nurture it uh, until it's so hard uh, to move on. But Lord, we ask you, you continually give us a vision of Jesus and his kingdom and the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, please help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That was quite long. I'm sorry about that, but uh, you were very patient. And uh, oh, please 